Numbers 12. Numbers 12, 1 through 16 is where we're going to be at. Uh, I don't know if this passage is familiar to you. To me, it's a really interesting passage of Scripture. Um, and we're going to take several different kind of turns on it. And then we're going to finish our service today by partaking of the Lord's Supper with our new fancy COVID safe extravaganza cups. <clears throat> You're going to hate them. I know you are, but like the point of this is to remember the body and blood of Jesus. All right. So let's all, let's all get past how you're getting ready to really hate these, okay? So anyway, but we're trying, huh? We're trying. Give us an A for effort, all right? All right, Numbers chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, as the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses, has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who are on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam. Behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. Moses cried to the Lord, O oh God, please heal her, please. The Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days. And after that, she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march until Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Father, I ask that you would guide us through this passage today. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, God, just giving us confidence in your ability to bring justice, to bring righteousness, to take care of us. Uh, Father, I pray that you would make us meek like Moses, that you would make us meek like Jesus. Father, we ask that you would enable us to finish our service today with our eyes focused clearly on the beauty of the gospel, on your broken body on our behalf and your shed blood for our sins. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 3 is an interesting verse to me, isn't it? Uh, it's obviously spoken by the Lord. Obviously, only God would know this, that this one guy is the meekest man on the whole planet, right? Like at that time, at least, Moses was the meekest guy in the whole world. Now, I, I don't know what you think of when you think of meek, you know? And so when I say, hey, hey, the Bible says that Moses was the meekest man alive. Like, what's your picture of meek? Like, what, is, what does that mean to be meek, you know? Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, uh, for they shall inherit the earth. Um, uh, 
let's see, uh, Matthew, what is it, Matthew eleven twenty nine? I think it is, says of Jesus that, uh, says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest, take my yoke upon you, for I am, I am lowly of heart. That's that same word. I, I am meek, I'm gentle, right? So, so it's a word that occurs throughout Scripture. It occurs uh, especially for Jesus and, and here and, and this guy, Moses. So what, what goes through your mind when you think of meek? I, I, I hope that you don't think of weak, okay? Uh, I hope that you don't equate meek with weak or meek with a pushover or meek with someone who's spineless and doesn't ever stand up for anything because that absolutely wasn't Moses, okay? If you remember the story of Moses, at age 40, he sees an Egyptian uh, abusing an Israelite. He steps in and kills the guy, you know? I don't know if you've ever intervened in, you know, something you thought was not right, but hopefully you didn't step in and then, like, kill a guy, okay? But actually, Moses kills him. If you read back in that passage in Exodus, it almost applies that he killed him with his bare hands as he struck him and killed him, all right? And so, obviously, Moses was not a guy that was afraid of confrontation. He's the guy that stands in front of Pharaoh over and over again and says, let my people go. You know, you're going to let the slave nation go. I mean, this guy does not have the characteristics of a wimp, okay? The other thing I'm not sure about is I'm not sure that that this meekness was was not something that grew in Moses as he matured in the Lord. I'm not sure he started out meek. I I guess I can't answer that. Um, But certainly 40 years as a shepherd in the wilderness and then leading the Israelites out of Egypt and through the Red Sea and into the Promised Land, certainly God was moving and working in him, okay? So let's look at what does it mean to be meek, all right? So first of all here, we see that Moses is being attacked here by people that he loves and people that he trusts, people who he thought were for him. Now, if you've ever been attacked by anybody, if you've ever been criticized, if you've ever been maligned by somebody, you know, it hurts a lot worse when it's somebody that's your friend, right? Like like a, a stranger cannot hurt you like your best buddy, all right? A stranger can't hurt you like your brother, like your sister, like your mom, like your dad. And, and so here in this passage, what, what we find is Moses is being attacked by his own family, all right? He, he's criticized by the people that are closest to him, all right? Now, now first of all, I, I just want to give a little point of application here. Please don't be shocked when that happens to you. I think a lot of people don't handle these situations well because they are so kind of blown away. Like, like there's a shock factor that, that man, I, I, just got, I just got criticized by my sister, you know? I just got, I just got uh, spoken to harshly by, by my brother, okay? Uh, listen, if it happened to Moses, the guy that parted the Red Sea, the, the guy that brought Israel out of Egypt, the guy that went up on the mountain and received the Ten Commandments, if he gets criticized by the leaders around him, the people closest to him, it's probably going to happen to you at some point, okay? If it doesn't happen already, if it doesn't happen every week, maybe, all right? And, and so there's this attack upon Moses. And it's an attack upon his decisions are being questioned. His married choice is being attacked. His character, his leadership position, as this thing develops, you'll notice that they are, they're questioning Moses' position and their position in relation to Moses' position. Now, first thing you need to realize about meekness is this beautiful point. Moses does not respond. Go back through it. Look at it. I, 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 I wish we could just read it again. We don't have time to do that. But, but just read that again. There, there is no response by him, okay? So he doesn't defend himself. He didn't, he didn't initiate a payback. He doesn't set him straight. 
He, he doesn't say, well, you know what, Miriam? You, you remember where you were when I, you know. He, he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't complain about it. I, I'm amazed he doesn't, even that we know of, go to the Lord about it. All right? There is no response by Moses. So gra- grab hold of that, okay? Now, now, the reason I think that's so important is because meekness has an element of self-control. All right? Meekness has an element of patience with people, particularly people that are wronging you. All right, now, here's the honest truth. Some folks have such a fiery trigger that there is never an opportunity for meekness in their life, right? Like, like, like they couldn't be meek if, if they intended to be because they have a gut reflex of, you punch me, I'm gonna lay you out, right? You criticize me, I'm coming at you. Like, like the, some people have such a reflex of, of, of angry response that there's never an opportunity for meekness. Whenever they're offended, they're not working through the gospel. They're not asking, okay, what does Jesus do here? They're not praying. They're, they're, they're unloading with both barrels. Like, like they're a gunslinger, you know? Like, like as soon as they're drawn on, they've just unloaded their clip, okay? Now, now the problem with that is you don't ever have a chance to employ any Christ-like meekness here. We haven't thunder snow. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> okay, all right. No, no, we got it. All right. Never mind. I thought it was thunder snow. I was actually excited. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there's, there's never an opportunity for meekness. Okay, now, now listen. So, so number point number one here is, okay, there's got to be an element of self-control, patience, and gentleness in meekness in order for you to not respond, all right? So in order for you to, and we're going to see this in Psalm 37 here, in order for you to be still, okay, the, the Bible's going to talk to you about that, in order for you to fret not, you, you've got to have some layer of patience, of self-control to be able to not immediately response, respond in, 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 in kind, okay? Then number two, there is a faith in God aspect to meekness, okay? There's a faith in God, all right? So there's a self-control patience aspect. There's a faith in God aspect that does a couple things. It enables a person to be still, all right? It enables a person to be okay with wrong hanging out there a while. Right now, here's here's one of the, the problems that people have when they're wrong. They have a timing problem. Like, I can't tell you how many people I've asked, hey, do you believe that Jesus is gonna make this right? Do you believe that God's going to bring justice? Do you believe that God's going to, that he's going to take care of this? Do you believe that God is, is going is to right every wrong? Almost every Christian will say, yeah, yeah, I believe that. I, I believe that God's going to do that, right? But you know the problem is? We have a timing problem that we can't get over. Like, like a lot of folks are not able to let that hang out there. They're not able to let that there be an injustice out there that so far has not been corrected by God. So, so meekness has to have this confidence in God aspect to it so that you're able to say, okay, I was just wronged. I was, I was just spoken too harshly. I was just unjustly criticized. But you know what? I am so confident in God that I'm, I'm able to let that hang out there. 
I'm able to let it be out there and, and, and trust that, you know what, God will deal with it. He will take care of me. It's, it's either going to happen in hell or it's going to happen on the cross. But yes, God will act and I trust that he will act and I am willing to depend on his time schedule, right? Meekness enables a person to be able to rest in the reality that God will take care of this and it doesn't have to be now, okay? Do you hear that? God will take care of this, and it doesn't have to be now. I mean, just the beauty of, of Moses being attacked, you know, by, by both Miriam and, and Aaron, you know, several people at the same time, him being attacked by that, and he's able just to not respond. And that's a beautiful thing. He's able just to rest. Kevin DeYoung said this about meekness. I think it's a great quote. He says, meekness is the firm resolve that it's always better to suffer than to sin. It's always better to suffer than to sin. So in other words, meekness is convinced, you know what? I, I, I'd rather suffer in this injustice for a while than I would sin myself, than I would unload and, 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 and transgress against the Lord myself. I love that. It's a willingness to be wrong, to be attacked, to be accused, to suffer rather than sin. The other thing that, that this faith in God brings is just this confidence that God's going to bring forth your righteousness. Right? Isn't that what's so bothersome when, when your, your credibility or your character is attacked is you're like, man, you know what? I, I, I feel like, like I've lost something here. And, and just to have the confidence that God will restore what was lost, that God will bring forth your righteousness, that God will, God will show his righteousness in this situation. Okay, so, so Moses doesn't respond, okay? But, but God is listening, okay? Isn't that, isn't that the beautiful thing about this? All right, so verse, verse 2, and they said, has the Lord indeed only spoken through Moses? Has not, has not he spoken also through us? And the Lord heard it, and the Lord heard it. You see that at the end of verse 2? Now the man Moses was very meek, all right? Moses doesn't respond, but God was listening. God heard it. And, and I just want to pause here and, and just say, hey, God is always listening, okay? There, there's two great things about that. Number one, it, just the, the, the knowledge that you never you never get wronged and God doesn't know. You never get wronged and, and God's not listening, not watching, not aware of the wrong that's been done to you. God is always listening. He's always listening. I, I remember there were times even growing up, and I was a kid that had probably a little more measure than so, of self-control than a lot of kids, certainly than my brothers. And there were times where my brothers would wrong me, but it was in the presence of my father. And I had the, I had the mindset of just to be like, oh, man. I'm just going to let this play out, you know, like, like I, I can't wait, you know, just because I knew my dad heard it, you know, and if I knew my dad heard it, I know, hey, this going to go good for me, you know, and, and, and I had the ability just to, to watch that thing happen, okay, and, and listen, God is watching, but the other side of that is when you're speaking, God is watching, okay, you know, here, here's the reality of the scripture in Zechariah 2.8, it says that when you mess with God's people, you mess with the apple of his eye. Loose translation is, when you mess with God's people, you poke him in the eye, all right? Man, listen, those of you who are married to Christians, okay, when you speak harshly to your spouse, you're poking God in the eye. Those of you who have children who are believers, when you speak harshly to those children, you are poking God in the eye, all right? 
If you remember Saul, when he was persecuting Christians before his conversion, when he meets Jesus on the Damascus Road in Acts 9-4, Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Saul, whatever you think you're doing to believers, you're actually doing that to me. In Matthew 18, 6, Jesus said it is a dangerous thing to cause one of Jesus' little ones to stumble. It'd be better you have a rock hung around your neck and thrown into the sea. In other words, God takes offense when his people are attacked. And so we should be careful about attacking a believer, right? You should know that God sees when you're attacked. He sees that. It's important for you to know that, to know that God is not oblivious. It's important for you to know that God sees it because if God sees it, God's going to act. He's going to intercede. And so the beautiful thing about about Moses' meekness here is he is not worked up about this. He is not in a rage. He is not in a fury. He's not in a tizzy. He's not worried that they're going to get away with this. Uh, there, There doesn't seem to be any bitterness or resentment settling in in Moses' He trusts the Lord to act. He trusts God to bring forth his righteousness. Moses waits on the Lord's timing. And here's what I believe. I would love for you to embrace this this morning. I think meekness is a trigger for God to act. I don't know. What do we mean by trigger? You know how a gun works, right? Like, like it's all loaded up and ready, okay? And, and, but nothing happens until you trigger it, okay? And I, I really feel like as I look through Scripture... There, there are a couple things that trigger the action of God. One, one thing, obviously, is faith. I mean, faith is, is something that we see all through the scriptures that almost triggers the, the action of God into our lives and into our world. But I would also say that meekness does the same thing. Because really, meekness is a form of faith, right? It's a form of trusting God. And, and so many times, I, here's what I see believers doing. You know, so there's some injustice that happens to them, and, and they're like, God, step out of the way. I'm going to take care of this, you know? And you know what? When you do, you, you take it out of his hands. Like, I, I think sometimes God's like, okay, well, let's see what you got. Make another mess, you know? Great. You know, and I, I think the better thing to do, guys, is to... Engage meekness, which I believe engages God's hand in that situation. All right, we're going to take a big rabbit trail here, okay? But I, I think it's, 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 it's an appropriate one. Uh, we don't hit a passage like this very often. And so when we do, I, I want to hit it, okay? What is the issue here? <laughs> what, what's the issue? Well, I think there's a couple things. The surface issue seems to be Moses' marriage, Okay. So verse 1 says, Mary and Aram spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Okay, now this could just be some kind of personal conflict between Miriam and, and, and Moses' wife. That happens, doesn't it? Hey, we're coming up on the holidays. How many sister-in-laws, brother-in-law, you know, I, I mean, that, 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 that's, that, we get that. It could, could just be that. I don't think it's that. You know why I don't think it's that? Because two times in that verse, what did, what did, what did the writer, uh, uh, Moses, what did Numbers emphasize here? She's a Cushite. She's a Cushite, okay? Now, what's a Cushite? Well, it, it's a foreigner. It's somebody from South of Egypt was the area of Cush. It'd be modern-day Ethiopia, modern-day Sudan, maybe, somewhere in that neighborhood. In other words, kind of the heart of Africa, okay? And so what I believe here is they are criticizing Moses because he's married a foreigner. He's, he's married someone from a different culture, different way of life. Most likely, 
someone who is a different color than they are, okay? Moses was probably Middle Eastern looking, all right? I don't know what he looked like. He probably didn't look like Charlton Heston. I'm probably convinced of that. That's what most of us, you know, picture in our minds. Probably didn't look like Charlton, okay? But, but he, he probably looked Middle Eastern. That's the area of, of, of that he's from, okay? This woman, this Cushite woman was most likely black. Okay, Cush is, again, Ethiopia, Sudan, uh, areas south of Egypt. And, and so this could have been, I don't know for sure, but it could have been, probably was, full-fledged racism, all right? Moses marries someone, doesn't look like, or have the same culture as Moses, and Aaron and Miriam are mad at him about it. They're, they're criticizing him for it. Now, again, that's not even uncommon in our own lifetime. I think it's getting less and less, but certainly interracial marriage has always been attacked, and some people wrongly Try to use the scriptures to make the case that you shouldn't marry outside of your race. And I, I just got to say this morning, that's nonsense, guys. Um, that is nonsense, okay? Uh, it's theological nonsense. Let me tell you why, okay? First of all, here's what we believe from the Bible. You know who all of us, when you, fa- when you trace our family tree back to, you know where you get to? You get to Adam. You get to one guy, Adam, and you get to Eve, all right? I do not believe in evolution. I don't believe there's a bunch of tadpoles crawling out of the river becoming humans. I don't believe that, and I don't believe that. Some crawled out of this side of the river and became this, and some crawled out of this side of the river. Come on, no. We all came from Adam and Eve. We're all one family, all right? God looked down upon Adam, the man he had created, and said, you know what? It's not good for you to be alone. So he takes a rib from Adam's side. He fashions Eve, brings first bride to the first groom. Says, man, you know, it's not good the man should be alone. Here's your wife, you know. And from that one couple come everybody that's alive on the planet today. All 7.8 billion people alive today and everybody who's ever been alive come from Adam and Eve. There is one race, the human race, all descending from one couple, Adam and Eve. And our theology supports that. And when, when Paul is making the case for original sin in Romans 5, what does he say? He says, in Adam we all fell. We're all descendants of Adam. Therefore we all, when he fell, there's a chain hooked to all of us. We all crashed into sin. And Jesus Christ can bring us all back. That's the theology of Romans 5. In in one man, Jesus, there's salvation possible for all. Now, it is true, as you look through the scriptures, that the Israelites were not to intermarry with the inhabitants of Canaan. All right, why? Because of their horrible paganism, their, their idolatrous lifestyle, so that they would not be pulled away from their worship of the one true God. But if you'll notice in the scriptures, there are clear exceptions to this. When a Canaanite, came to faith in the true God of Israel. Some real notable exceptions, like like Rahab, the prostitute of Jericho, right? Or like Ruth, the Moabitess, all right? When they came to faith in the true God of Israel, man, they, they married Israelite guys. And not only did God welcome them into Israel, he went ahead and put them in the line of Jesus, the Messiah. Almost as a point of emphasis. Now, the Bible does tell followers of Jesus Christ that they're only to marry certain people. That is true, okay? But it divides the world into two groups of people, believers and unbelievers. So a believer is free to marry another follower of Jesus Christ. No matter their country, their language, their ethnicity, their skin color, their dietary preferences, the only qualification is that a fellow believer should marry a fellow follower of Jesus 
and that they be a person who's repentant of their sins, but their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A believer is not free to marry anyone who does not have a genuine, visible faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, even if they look just like you and they eat the same foods of you and they have the same accent and they practice the same cultural traditions, even if they grew up down the street from you and your parents and their parents are good friends and their dad works with, with her dad, you are not to marry somebody who's not a believer. Don't marry them. Don't date them. Don't start a romantic relationship with them. Don't go out on an icy date. The stakes are too high. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9, talks about um, ladies that lose their husbands. And, and it says in verse 39, a wife is bound to her husband as long as she lives, as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whomever she wishes, only in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. What partnership is righteousness with lawlessness or fellowship with light or darkness? What accord is Christ with Biel? In other words, don't, don't, don't marry somebody that is not going the same direction in life as you. Okay, but, but if you go to the nations with the gospel, okay, and, and, and as, as people believe the gospel in Africa and Asia and the Middle East and Eastern Europe and Pacific Islands and Scandinavia, and you gather with them to worship Jesus, and you see a young lady who looks nothing like you, and she doesn't speak the language of your family, and she's never eaten a truck stop cheeseburger that you can see your reflection in, and she doesn't know what chili cheese fries are, and she doesn't know how to cook fried potatoes. Oh, that hurts, okay? But... She loves Jesus, and she's really cute, and she thinks you're awesome. Okay, guys, those two things, okay, those three things, loves Jesus, you think she's cute, and she thinks you're awesome, and you better marry her, okay? And the two of you ought to work really hard to be a gospel bridge to her culture and to your culture. Pastor, what about all the problems when our cultures are so different? Well, I would just say this. First of all, marriage is hard. If somebody told you otherwise, I'm sorry, okay? Um, but I would just say this. The problems that come from you eat rice and I eat fried potatoes are much less than the problems that come from I'm sold out to Jesus Christ and he's the only thing that matters and you don't love him. Those are problems you can't get around. I also think, second of all, there are horrible problems that come from two cultures that won't interact just because they, they eat different stuff or they look a little different. Now, okay, that was a long rabbit trail, sorry. I, I think there's other things going on here too, okay? Um, what other things are going on here? No, notice there's some envy going on. Look at verse two, ready? And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? What do we got going on here? We got a little power struggle going on. We've got some envy going on. We've got, hey, who's in charge and why is he in charge and why does everybody always look to him? And hey, God speaks through us as well. Man, if you look at the context of this, this passage, what you're gonna find is chapter 11 is all about the appointing of leadership, okay? Now here, here's what I know about being a pastor for 23 years. There is nothing that will stir up contention like when you start appointing leaders, Okay. Um, we're actually doing our, our committees again tonight, and I, I dread it every year, you know? I dread it every year because people don't handle it well. 
Uh, they don't handle it well. In, in chapter 11, there's, there's 70 men who are appointed as elders in Israel, and the Spirit comes upon them, and they prophesy, and then, and then that kind of ends. And, and then later on, right away, we got problems. Verse uh, 26, two men remained in the camp, one named Elkad and the other named Medad, and the Spirit rested upon them, and they were among those registered, but they had not gone up to the tent, so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran to Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp, and Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, from his youth said, My Lord Moses, stop him. And Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would not that all God's people have been prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them? Right? Already there's, there's hey, those guys aren't, they, we didn't appoint them, right? There's already leadership problems. You remember in the New Testament when uh, uh, there, were, there were people prophesying or people preaching that weren't with the disciples and James and John were like, hey, you, you want us to go shut them guys up? And Jesus like, hey, if they're not against me, they're for me, you know? Uh, and, and so leadership problems exist. People struggle with authority. The disciples were arguing about who's the greatest right up to the crucifixion. Churches struggle with who's in charge. Marriages struggle with power and authority and decision-making. And so this is not surprising. Miriam was a leader. If you remember back in Exodus chapter 15, verse 20, when they came out of the Red Sea, it was Miriam. It said Miriam, the prophetess. Okay, so she's, she's speaking God's truth. She's a prophetess. Sister of Aaron took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her, and the tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, who he has triumphed gloriously, horse and rider, he is thrown into the sea. I mean, this gal, this gal had some leadership clout with the Israelites, okay? And Aaron, of course, is the high priest, all right? But here's what God does in verse 7. God makes it really clear that Moses has not taken a position on his own. God has put Moses in this position. He says, you know what? When, when, a pro, when, a, when, God, when I speak to a prophet, it's usually with a dream. It's usually with a vision. But Moses is unique in that I speak to him like I speak to no other. So God had given this position, this status to Moses. And now Miriam and Aaron were criticizing God's choice of Moses. Guys, you got to be really careful when you attack authority that you're not really attacking God. I tell kids this all the time. Man, be careful that when, you, when you're criticizing your mom and dad, be careful that you're not actually criticizing God. Um, now, I, I'm not saying mom and dad couldn't be wrong about something or couldn't have a sinful motive about something, but here's what I know. God has put parents in authority over children. And so many times when you're rebelling against your parents, you're actually rebelling against God. So in this case, Mary and Aaron are striking out against the Lord's anointed. Now Moses, what's his role here? He begins to intercede for his attackers, all right? Miriam is struck with leprosy. God calls him out. I love the kind of this parental thing. You three, get out here, you know. They all get out. He calls up Miriam and Aaron, you know, gives it to them. And then when he departs, Miriam's got leprosy, all right? And, and Moses immediately begins to intercede. I don't know how far to take this, but it almost seems like God's making a point here with the leprosy. Do you notice what, what it says? Where's that at? Uh, where she, when she gets leprosy, I think it's 10. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Mary was leprous like snow. Uh, if this was a racial thing, like a color thing, uh, I, I happen to believe God has a sense of humor. And it's almost as if God's like, oh, you want whiter? How about this, Miriam? You want to be white? about if your skin's flaking off dead? Is that white enough? Uh, I don't know. But doesn't it seem like that's there, you know? Um, I mean, it's emphasized in the scripture. So Miriam's got leprosy here. Why not Aaron? I think there's a really good reason for that. Aaron's the high priest, his position. 
Uh, he's the one that's supposed to decide whether someone's unclean or clean. It's Aaron's job. There, there would have been a real problem for Aaron the high priest to have been struggling with this. So I think that's why uh, some people say Miriam was the leader in this. It does sort of allude to that in verse 1 where she's spoken of first. I, I don't know. But, but the point I want you to see in, in verse 13 is Moses begins to intercede on Miriam's behalf. All right, now, again, we're talking about meekness. He doesn't respond. He gets criticized. He gets attacked. He's still before the Lord. He's not unloading. He's trusting God with this thing. And then the first time he does respond, you know what he's doing? He's asking God to take the consequences of his sister's sin away. Moses is a great picture of Jesus, isn't he? That's exactly Jesus. Not only does he not retaliate, not only does he not complain or grumble about the offense, not only did he forgive, but now he's active in taking away the consequences of her sin. What a beautiful picture of Christ-like meekness. Man, for, for you to, the person that's just criticized you, the person that's just attacked you, for you to actually turn around and actively seek their welfare. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. Let me ask you a couple questions. Do you, do you pray for your persecutors? Do you pray for your critics? Do you pray for those who question and undermine your authority? Moses is doing that. And there is power in triggering the work of God. So real quickly... Um, Miriam is chastened. Um, she takes a posture of humility. I think um, God is, is um, basically saying, hey, you know, if, if she had shamed her father publicly, she would have withdrawn from society for a time and, and taken a posture of humility. How much more appropriate when she has attacked me is really what God's saying, is that she step outside the camp and take a posture of humility for a few days, and then she's fully restored because of Moses' intercession. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to Psalm 37. I know we're gonna have it on the screens, but if you have your Bible, I just think this is, this is worth you having as a tool, okay? Um, when you are attacked and when you can't get it off of you, when, when you're just kind of overwhelmed with this injustice on your behalf, I, I think Psalm 37 is gonna rescue you, okay? So I want you to see it with your own eyes, in your own Bible, maybe make some marks, okay? Now, now the verse that we're gonna culminate with is verse 11, all right? So verse 11 says, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. I think Jesus is quoting that in the Beatitudes when he says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth, okay? Because verse 11 says, the meek shall inherit the land. But how, how do we get there? So, so here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna read Psalm 37, one through 11. And I, I want us to decide, was Moses meek? Okay, so let me start reading here, okay? We'll kind of go fast and then we'll slow down. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade away like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good and dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, your justice as the noonday. Okay, let's, let's just pause. 
Didn't did Moses fret over evil people attacking him? I, he did not. Did he trust in the Lord? Did he commit his way to the Lord? Did he trust, look at verse, verse um, five. Did he trust that God would act? Absolutely. Did he trust, verse six, that God would bring forth his righteousness as the light and his justice as the noonday? Didn't God do all that? Absolutely, right? Pulls him out. This is my servant Moses. I speak to him face to face. I just want you to see this in action. Look at verse seven. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Did Moses do that? Absolutely. There was no response coming out of his mouth when he was criticized. He was still before the Lord. He waited patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who has prospered in his way, over the man who carries out evil desires. Verse eight, refrain from anger, forsake wrath. Did he do it? Absolutely. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Absolutely. For the evildoers shall be cut off. For those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Man, it lines up, doesn't it? Like, like that, that is an instruction manual in how to be meek and how to inherit the land. 